Well, it is now the Christmas season, and uh, this is one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, but this Christmas, let's be sure to remember that the whole point of the baby was a rescue mission. Jesus came not just to be a part of a nativity scene, but he came to die on a cross to save us from our sins so we might have eternal life and the sure hope of eternal life in heaven with, with, with God uh, and with all the other saints throughout history. But when Jesus came on this rescue mission, he did it as a hero. And I, I think it's important to stop and, and think about the concept of a hero. Um, Jesus is certainly our Savior and our Lord, but he's also intended to be our hero. Now, a hero is somebody that we try to be like, that, that we want to follow and emulate. And so Jesus Christ is the Christian's hero. You, you can't emulate uh, God. Now, in certain ways, to a lesser dis, uh, uh, degree, we, we, we seek to be righteous as he is holy. But you can't really follow the omnipotent. But you can follow Jesus, God becoming flesh, truly becoming man. He showed us how to do it, how, how to follow. Uh, he, he, he lived a life dependent on the Holy Spirit, and, and so should we. And he showed us how to resist satanic attack in the wilderness. He, he showed us how to endure persecution. He, he showed us how to love others by serving them, and, and so should we. We want to do it like he did it. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus said, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I can't give my life as a ransom for many. Only the perfect God-man could do that. Okay, but I am called, and we see this specifically in this text, to be a servant like Jesus was. And, and we see this in this text, Jesus modeling servanthood for his followers throughout history by taking the very form of a servant. And not just a normal servant, but the lowest of servants in that culture in that day, that would be the foot washer. So let's consider the example that Jesus gave us as the foot washer. That's our first point this morning, the example. And I love how Pastor Kent Hughes sets the table for us. He writes, as one reads through the Gospel of John, the shadow of the cross grows longer and darker until now the reader stands at the foot of the cross on the evening before the crucifixion. In just a few short hours, somewhere between 15 and 18 hours, our Lord would be suspended between the sky and the earth as the sin bearer of mankind. Before the sun set again, he would breathe his last tortured breath. End quote. So how did Jesus do it? What, what did he do? with these last few hours of freedom with his disciples. Well, we read about that in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, you know, it's, it's, it's easy, I think, sometimes for us 
to focus, those of us Christians who believe that Jesus Christ is actually the Son of God, the, the second person of the Trinity. It's easy for us sometimes to focus on his deity to the neglect of his full humanity. And what that does is actually reduces the stature of the hero for us to follow. So know that. Okay, so maybe you've read things and you've thought, well, yeah, sure, that was easy for Jesus because he knew everything. Okay, or he had all power. He could just hit that turbo boost button, right, and get through that hardship. You need to understand Jesus, and, and the gospel writers want us to understand, Jesus did it as a man, as a real man. And the, 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 the writer of Hebrews tells us that in every single way in which we struggle, he really did struggle. He struggled. So he did not do it in his divine strength. He did it through dependence on the Holy Spirit as a real man as we should too and can too as Christians. All right, so I think oftentimes without giving a lot of thought, we'll read the gospel stories and just think, well, yeah, that's Jesus, but that, you know, I, I can never do that. Okay, and that's wrong. We need to understand he's our hero and we're supposed to, according to him, take up our cross and follow after him as our hero. Okay, but... We do need to remember that Jesus was indeed also the Son of God. And the cross did not take him by surprise. This was indeed his mission. And I can tell you that if I knew that, in, that I was about to be crucified in less than a day, I don't think I could think of anything but that, right? It would be hard not to just curl up in the fetal position or you know, just be just, you know, just uh, totally useless because I would be so focused on the suffering that I was about to go through. But one aspect of love is a focus on others. And this is what Jesus models for us here. Instead of obsessing over the upcoming pain of the cross and far worse, the outpouring of God's righteous wrath on him, that we deserved for our sins, Jesus focused on loving his disciples to the end here. He knew that the sands of that hourglass were, were almost expended. And this was his, one of his last moments here this evening. And as we're, as we're gonna go on, we're gonna see some powerful words that Jesus shares with his disciples. And, 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 a, and a powerful prayer, the high priestly prayer. But here Jesus showed them not just in word, but in deed, love in action. And so we read in verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, and we're going to talk more about that next week, but know that John is intentionally contrasting darkness with light here, okay? So knowing what Judas is about to do, Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things in his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. Now, remember here who Jesus is. Hebrews 1, 3 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's who was in this man, Right? all the power in the universe. And here's what he does. Verse four, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, 
tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, there is great humility in washing feet. There's a Mishnah that actually forbid Jewish servants from being required to wash feet. That was such a, it was such a lowly job. Now, John the Baptist equated it with the most humble form of service possible when he said in, in John chapter 127 to his disciples, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. See, John was thinking of the lowest possible service when he, in his mind, thought of washing feet. Now, now maybe you have washed someone's feet as part of a Christian service. Um, I've been a part of several weddings where the bride and groom have, have stopped and washed each other's feet as part of the service. But one thing I've noticed, whenever I've seen it in a service, um, people were washing feet that were already clean, basically. Okay, I mean, I'm sure if you knew that you were going to, you know, if, if somehow you'd gotten word that we we're going to all wash each other's feet today, probably you would have, you know, maybe clipped your toenails, you know, and, and probably would have taken a shower this morning and probably spent a little more time maybe, uh, you know, with that washcloth in between your toes. But that was not the case here. These disciples had truly nasty feet. Um, they, they, they did not have um, Merrill hiking boots with smart wool socks, okay, to wear through the, the dusty lanes and, and the, over the mountains. Um, understand that this was an agrarian society with lots of animals that just pooped right along the, on, the, on the same uh, sidewalks and trails right, uh, that people walked on, and during the summer when it didn't rain for a long time, the animal poop just turned into the dust, and so you, you always had that on your feet, okay? Uh, in the rainy season, it all mixed in with the mud, and you just walked right through that in sandals, and, and I know because this is a lot of what Afghanistan is like today, okay? And, and so uh, when we lived there, we often had dirty feet ourselves. In fact, um, before you would even think about getting into bed at night, um, you would always wash your feet uh, just so that you wouldn't bring all kinds of disgusting stuff into between, between your sheets, right? Uh, and frankly, uh, at any point in the day, you could look at the bottom of your feet and they'd be usually black. Uh, that's what life was like, right? Uh, in fact, I remember um, taking a little vacation with my wife to Thailand. And uh, the Thai are really great at, uh, you know, things like massages and that kind of thing. You need to kind of watch out for some of that stuff. But Beth and I went to this, and it was her idea, of course, but this place to get like a foot scrub, right? And, you know, this was after we'd actually taken a shower or two, right? And, 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 uh, and yet our feet were so disgusting from where we lived. I mean, there were bunions and, and, you know, thick skin and black skin that you should have seen the, the faces of these, these Thai ladies had never seen Americans with such awful-looking feet, okay? Well, you need to understand, that's what Jesus was cleaning here. Normally, a, a lowly servant would wash your feet when you first arrived in a, in a home. That was just part of the protocol, okay? And if that didn't happen, so let's say if you were poor or you are visiting someone who didn't have money for a servant— um, the normal protocol would be that the first couple of people in your party to arrive would turn and wash the other's feet. 
But, but we learn from other gospel writers that that, is not what, that was not the attitude here. Okay, that's not what was going on here. Uh, in fact, we read from the other gospel writers that when they showed up for this meal, the disciples were actually arguing about who were going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And in their minds, uh, you know, when Jesus took the throne, which was about to happen, okay, um, who is going to be the most powerful? And so for a meal, um, the way they would eat, okay, instead of like, it, it, you know, you could imagine maybe showing up at someone's home with really nasty feet. Uh, maybe you took off, you left your sandals at the door and you, you walked in, but you're sitting at a table and you, you, you've got chairs and we don't really see each other's feet as we eat, right? Um, that's just how it is um, in, in our modern society, which frankly I think is kind of nice. Uh, I tell you, in Afghanistan, the way you eat uh, communally is you sit on these cushions they call toshaks on the floor around a big mat. And for me, one of the biggest challenges as a non-super uh, limber guy was keeping my feet off the mat. In fact, it's rude to point your foot at somebody else. So you kind of have your feet tucked underneath you, you know, and your, your hamstrings are kind of tight and, and killing you a little bit, you know. Um, but what you do is, you, you know, you're trying not to get your foot germs, and there's plenty of those, you know, on the mat, but your feet are only maybe a foot away from the food. And in Jesus' day, it was quite similar. They may have had a small table that would have been just slightly elevated from the, from the floor, and they would have actually been reclining, so they would have been laying down uh, with the left hand holding the head up. I could lay down and show you, but, you know, you guys are Baptists and will probably be uncomfortable with that. Um, so uh, he would lay here like this. They would, lay, you know, lean on their, 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 their elbow and, and with the right hand eat. The, the left hand was considered unclean. Uh, it was used for other things, okay? So you eat with the right hand. Eating with the left hand, a big no-no. It's still that way in Central Asia or the Middle East. So if you have a chance to go visit one of these places, um, uh, just remember I told you so, okay? Don't shake people's hand with your left hand. Don't eat. You're going to gross everybody out with your left hand. Sorry if you're left-handed. You just have to learn how. This is not a fair world, okay? You got to use your right hand for eating. And so they would lean on their left hand and they would eat with their right hand. And so they would have their feet pretty much touching the, per, the, the person, you know, I mean, you're like this, the, the next guy's feet are right here. And so you can see how important it would be to, wa to just wash feet before the meal. Okay, but that had not happened. And so they would try to keep their feet kind of tucked behind them a little bit, but, but the feet were very much part of the picture okay, of a feast, of a meal, right there. And so it was actually a necessary task here, not just a symbolic gesture, for somebody to wash feet. But this was the lowest possible position. And here we see Jesus take that position in washing his disciples' feet. And let's consider the wording here. Jesus' service here was a picture of what he had already done in his incarnation and what he was about to do with his crucifixion on the cross, okay? So we read, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Well, Jesus laid aside his divine right of glory and he took a towel of humanity in his very incarnation and took on flesh. 
Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Well, he poured out his blood on the cross to wash our hearts clean of our filthy sin. Verse 12 mentions Jesus when he was finishing washing his disciples' feet, resuming his rightful place at the table. And we know that and we read that after he atoned for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Now notice the parallel with this story, with what Jesus actually did, okay? With how Paul in Philippians chapter 2, how he records uh, and summarizes Jesus' ministry, taking on the lowliness of a servant, as he tells us how we're to interact with each other in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 9. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with a thing to be grasped or or held onto, but he emptied himself. How did he do that? By taking the form of a servant, taking that towel, girding that towel, taking his clothes off and girding that towel around him, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what was pictured as he washed these feet to cleanse us. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So let's worship him as we remember his service. Now, mystery man who wrote Hebrews summarizes it all in one verse, the entire life and nature and ministry of Jesus Christ in Hebrews 1.3, which we already saw the first part of. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Wow. After making purification for sins, there it is. That's how Mystery Man summarizes Jesus' whole mission dying on a cross for our sins, raising from the dead, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus gives us a picture of what he was all about. So let's talk about now the reaction to the foot washer. That's our second point. We've seen the example of the foot washer, what he did in that room. Let's talk about the reaction to his washing of feet. Now, sometimes it takes humility to allow somebody else to serve us. Do you think it takes a little humility to allow somebody to wash your feet? Yeah, it does, especially if you're a little conscientious, maybe, right? So we read in verse six, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now, before we start, you know, knocking on Peter, and I I read one commentator who talked about, you know, uh, Peter putting foot, taking feet out of his mouth and putting feet back in his mouth and all that. Um, Let me just say this. Peter says what everybody in the room is thinking. I I like Peter, right? He's transparent, uh, if if nothing else. Uh, Everybody is uncomfortable, right? Everybody's thinking, this is not right. You are the Lord, the master, the teacher, and you're taking the form of a servant. This is not right. This is not the order of how things are supposed to be done, right? But Peter just says it. He can't help himself. And you know what? We would have been thinking the same thing. So good on Peter for saying what he thinks, right? So Jesus answered him, 
What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Okay, now he's being a little stubborn, okay? Uh, Maybe a little bit impudent. One scholar translates, uh, a better translation of the Greek would be, never to all eternity shall you wash my feet. That's a more wooden translation from Peter. So Jesus answers him, answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now, I, I love how Peter totally pulls a 180 here, um, I, a total 180. His love for Jesus and his desire to be with him outweighs his pride, okay? Uh, and he says, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So Jesus replied in verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that it was why he said, not all of you are clean. Now one, one pastor explains this by writing, when one had bathed and then walked to another's house, he only needed his feet washed in order to be clean. As justified believers... The disciples did not need a radical new cleansing, but rather a daily cleansing from the contaminating effects of sin. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. He has once for all washed away your sins. The guilt of your sins were nailed to the cross. Okay? But in your daily life experience, you need daily repentance and faith. Not to get saved again but to have a relationship restored because as Christians, we often quench his spirit by sinning, by choosing sin instead of orienting our hearts towards Christ. And so I I hope that daily you um, have time with him daily. And this is an opportunity for you to daily have your feet washed again through daily repentance and daily faith. Uh, some, some, some call this covenant renewal. You're in covenant with him, but that needs to be renewed. It needs to be done daily, not just weekly on Sunday when you show up for church, but daily when you, when you open his word and you listen to him and you talk to him in, in prayer. Well, Jesus showed us by his example in the words of one writer that no one is above serving and that no one is below being served. But then he expounded on this example that he had set. So let's carefully listen to what he has to say. And and so that's our final point here. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here. And that is the challenge of the foot washer. And that's the challenge for us that Jesus gave. And for all of his disciples throughout history. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, there are some denominations that actually practice foot washing as an ordinance along with baptism and communion. And so when Christians gather, um, they will periodically 
as a part of a, a service, wash each other's feet. And I've also seen this done in some contextualized ways that were interesting. Um, I remember when, when, when Beth and I were first um, being appointed by the International Mission Board. We, we'd gone through some training, and, and there was a, the evening before our appointment service, um, the trustees of the mission all came in the room with us, the vice presidents and, and, and trustees, and, and the leaders. And, you know, they, I, I thought, okay, you know, they're going to give us a challenge or something. But what they did was they individually uh, shined our shoes. So that was pretty interesting. We, they, they called us up, and, and each of these men uh, paired off with one of us and got down on their knees on all fours and prayed for us as they just cleaned our shoes. I thought that was a neat picture uh, of humility, servant servant leadership. And I I see examples in our own church of those who wash feet well. And I just have to say, even though I'm going to get in trouble for it, I live with a church member who is an amazing example of servanthood, my wife Beth. Um, Normally on Sunday mornings, I I get up early um, uh, or a little earlier just to kind of spend some time with the Lord and to to kind of go over the sermon and, and and uh, this morning, as she often does, she just brought breakfast right up to me upstairs. Uh, she didn't have to do that. She's always putting the needs of others, not just me and my kids, first. She's just a servant, just who she is. And, and I'm challenged by her example. Uh, but I think of others in our body. I think of our deacons who are servant leaders. The, the word deacon is a, means servant, right? The, the, the Jesus, Jesus is kingdom is totally upside down from the way our, our society looks at, at leadership and, and the world. And, and so the heroes are the greatest servants, and that's why there's an office called deacon. It's someone who's an exemplary servant who uh, leads others in, in serving. And, and sometimes I'll look out the window around five o'clock or something, and I'll, I'll see some of our deacons during the week showing up after work um, to serve in some way, to check on our ACs, Right? Um, there's so many ways our deacons serve. And I want to encourage you, uh, ask our deacons how you can help them. Um, there's a lot of tasks that could be delegated. Um, uh, and, and by the way, we've got a number of men right now, that, and this is awesome, uh, that we're interviewing as elders, praying through, uh, appointing hopefully in the new year, some more deacons. And, and hopefully quite a group actually uh, of, of deacons to join our deacon team to, to serve the church. Our elders, I look at my brothers uh, who labor as elders and I see servants. And, you know, you hate to call a name because nobody likes to be embarrassed. And and, uh, you hate to make others feel like, well, you didn't call my name. But I just want to say we've got a couple guys, uh, traditionally we've had a couple guys on the elder team named Bill who are just servants. I think of Bill Molden. Um, uh, He's a retired elder. Um, But let me tell you, for years, maybe decades Bill and Becky were in the, in the hospital rooms of, of people. I mean, you just, you didn't have to ask. They'd just be there uh, whenever they could. And I see Billy Moore doing the same thing. I mean, this guy's a servant. He, I mean, he, he loves to cut down trees, and he served a lot of you by cutting trees, maybe that were near your home, down. But it's not only in the way that he likes, because he likes cutting trees down. He likes his chainsaw, right? But you know what? If there's going to be a guy who you can just count on just to be there at the hospital, it's It's Billy. It's, it's serving. And there's so many other ways. I think of our, our nursery workers who are serving us right now. I, I think of Tanya Hunt in the kitchen. 
Maybe you don't know this, but you show up for a, a Rocky family night and, and a lot of us have been excited because there's been more food lately. And actually we've seen attendance somehow grow at these things because of, you know, when there's food. But you know, we're all eating. Tanya has been sweating for several hours back in the kitchen, um, getting everything together, getting everything ready with a team of other servants. And, you know, I think, of, I think of Terry Pretty serving his wife right now as she struggles with um, dementia. But he's not too busy uh, serving his wife to, to not care for church members. He loves it when, and I probably shouldn't say this from up here because I may increase his business, um, but he, he's like t- constantly like fixing people's lawnmowers and, and, and chainsaw, building your chainsaws, right? And, and, and he's doing this not for money. He's doing this because he just loves to serve people. And I could go on and on of examples that I get to see of service in the church. But I want, us to, I want to point out a couple uh, areas, practical areas that I think we can learn from when we consider the example of Jesus' servanthood. And if you're following along in your worship guide, you'll see a couple blanks here. Um, the first is serving with an attitude of humility and from a heart of love. Serving with an attitude of humility. None of us are above service. Um, it's easy to think, well, you know what? Um, uh, pride often re- rears its ugly head. I- I'll let somebody else clean that up. And I'll just kind of walk past the, the mess. Um, but none of us is above service. So let's do this from a heart of love. Pastor Matt Carter writes, this kind of humble service has to be rooted in the gospel. What Jesus commands is not an action, but an attitude. And that's why we didn't physically wash each other's feet this morning. Um, but I sure, I sure hope and pray that today and in this month, this season, you will seek to wash people's feet. This, this is an attitude. Humble service flows from the gospel. The power to serve one another is not found inside of us. We don't tap into inner strength or discover secret power reserves. We fall on our faces before Jesus and beg him to help us serve others. We rely on the Holy Spirit to enable us to love others, to put their needs before our own. And that is the mark of a servant, someone who puts others' needs above their own needs. But B, let's, let's serve, we need to serve with an attitude of humility, but let's serve from a position of proximity. Now, now what I mean by that is notice uh, as Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, he was cleaning their feet with the towel that he had girded around his waist. So this kind of service is close. It's not from a distance. He wiped their feet with the towel that was girded around his own waist. So true Christian service is often uncomfortable or uncomfortably close. And I just want to say one word, and that is homes. If we want to really follow Jesus, we need to get others and invite others into our homes and be close in our service. True Christian service is often inconvenient. And and mothers know this best, right? Do your kids get sick at the most convenient times? No, but what do you do? Because of a heart of love for your child, you sit with them. You, you care for them. 
during the night. You, you massage their back as they're throwing up. You, you, clean, you clean them. You, 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 you want what's best for them and you put their needs above your own. And this is how we are to care, or supposed to in the church, care for one another. Well, maybe the best way to serve someone is to invite them over to your home when it's not perfectly clean. Maybe this idea of the perfect home on Instagram has become an idol to your heart such that you're embarrassed to invite someone over when things are out of place. But maybe today there's someone sitting next to you that you should invite over. And you need to just throw a little more water in the soup, right? And have them over even though it's not the perfect meal, right? Because this could encourage their soul. Maybe you get involved in, in, in caring for someone where you know it's not going to be a one-and-done ministry. And those are hard, right? Uh, getting involved in somebody's lives where, you know what, uh, I'm going to be seeing them a lot. Uh, I think of the beauty of the ministry of fostering. But I think of the beauty of, of something I heard Neil Woods has been doing. And some of you know Neil. He used to go here. Um, Neil's, Neil, Neil's got a, a guy who was formerly homeless who's been living in his driveway in a camper for the last year ministering to him, helping him overcome his addiction. Uh, that's the kind of service that Jesus is talking about and, and showing us here. Well, we need to serve with an attitude of humility. We need to serve from a position of proximity, but we also need to serve with sincerity an enemy. How many pairs of, of, of feet did Jesus wash? Somebody throw the number out. Eleven? Twelve. Now, wait a minute. Judas Iscariot was about to betray him, right? Did Jesus know that? I mean, this guy was a traitor, the, the worst of sorts. You read Dante's Inferno, and Dante places Judas right in the inner circle of hell. But how does Jesus treat him? He washes his feet, and I'm sure he did it just as lovingly and thoroughly as everyone else's. Would you lovingly wash Jesus's feet, Judas's feet, knowing what he was about to do, if that was you? One pastor wrote that he would have washed Judas's feet with paint thinner and a match. <laughs> We're called by Jesus to serve our enemies, even. And that includes brothers and sisters who act like enemies. You know, sometimes we say, well, I'm supposed to love an enemy, but I don't really have to love my friend who's a jerk right? Or I don't really have to love that church member who acts like an enemy and, and really wounds me. But that's not the way of the cross. It's not the way of Jesus here. Um, positionally, oftentimes, maybe it's the people who are closest to us that really hurt, and positionally, they may actually be an enemy while still being a, technically a brother or sister in Jesus, and he calls us to serve them. This is what Jesus did on the cross. We need to remember that we were his enemies, theologically and in truth. We were his enemies. That's what Romans 5 says. We weren't just kind of cuddly people, just waiting to hear the truth so that we could believe it. No, we were his enemies. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, we are the Judases. We have rebelled against our Creator. We have chosen our path, and too often we continue, even as Christians, to, to say, we love ourselves more than you, God. I'm going to do what I want to do, which brings him pain. And yet, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, on a rescue mission to die for us so that he might bring us close. This is God serving his creation. And so Jesus calls us, as his disciples, to follow him in his example. And he says in verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What Jesus is saying is that true inner joy happens when we serve others. And I hope that you can remember this truth, especially during this season. You know, we can spend a lot of time and energy making our own lives comfortable, but that doesn't bring joy. You know, uh, we, we, and it's not wrong to, 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 to seek to, you know, paint your house or renovate your house, but you know what? Your house is constantly deteriorating. If that's where your hope is and your energy is, it's in vain, it's futile, because it will deteriorate, okay? So put your heart and, and your energy in serving others, because God did not call us to a life of comfort. He called us to a life of service. Dirty towels and hands of service demonstrate Christian love and the beauty of the gospel to a lost world in a way that gets their attention. Jesus is about to tell his disciples, and we'll look at this next week in verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your son who was willing to take off his, his robes of deity, not divesting his nature of, of them, but but giving up that prerogative and clothing himself with the towel of humanity to pour out his own lifeblood on, on the cross for our sins. Lord, I pray that, that we would remember that he is today the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will return in power and glory. We look forward to that day. But help us as we wait to follow after him by, by choosing the towel. Lord, I pray that you would um, help us to serve one another with, with the ultimate goal to to, to meet the greatest need that exists in this world, and that is of lostness with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in, in, in his great name, in the great name of Jesus. Amen.